This is Monocle On Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we take a look at the link between well-being and materials with acoustic specialist Borks. We hear from the creative director of Ganni, as well as the director of Copenhagen Contemporary Art Gallery, Arken. Plus, what might a reimagining of the English country house look like? We investigate. All that coming up on Monocle On Design. Hello and welcome to today's show where we start at the Stockholm Furniture Fair. Here, among the stands and array of designers on display, were Borks, the Swedish acoustic specialists held an exhibition called The Bright Future of Wellbeing in Architecture and Interior Design. It looked at the way in which buildings and workplaces can enhance wellbeing, creativity and productivity. As part of the showcase, it shared research from young designers commissioned by Borks to investigate the links between materials and health. One such designer was interior architecture student Kristen erlens We had like a list of places or briefs that we could choose. Uh, so I got the hospital brief and I was supposed to interpret well-being then in hospital and care, which I found super interesting and important. And the brief was to design something that was like open and airy and, and letting nature in. How did that take form, open, airy, letting nature in? How, how are you breaking, I guess, away from the conventional design of a, of a hospital space and putting a space that isn't about curing but about well-being? I took like the nature part uh, into the interior with uh, like curved walls and uh, organic shapes to kind of take a step back from the straight spaces that you often find in hospitals like sterile white places so I wanted to be like open flowy airy and um, welcoming in a way a nice thing that happens with the curved walls is that you get like this interesting meetings throughout the corridors and you're like a little bit curious about what's at the other end you don't see it directly but then it was also play on like private and public in such a sensitive space so I made some like private spaces in this common space with the boxwood wool, and that was important, of course, to integrate the box products, and that's also a big part of well-being, to have good acoustics in a space like this. You were tasked with, I guess, focusing on the, the public areas in, in yeah. hospitals, but you've got these mix of private, semi-private, and more public spaces mm-hmm. within the public space. Mm-hmm. Why was it important, I guess, to have these areas where, I mean, you, they're called calm rooms here, but areas where people could have a private moment in a public area? I feel like it's such a sensitive space, and especially if you're sick, you maybe need to have a sensitive conversation or just take a moment to collect yourself. And I think it's important to have a space to do that. I've experienced myself like a long-term sick family member, and I remember like when I was I was around 10 years old, you had like a space for kids where you could like go and hide out a little bit, maybe watch a movie because you spent a lot of time there. So I found it really important to take that into consideration in such a sensitive space. In terms of letting nature in, we spoke offline before about like careful placement of windows and the Mm -hmm. shadows and and that sort of play. How does that feature? You've got a curved structure, I guess, breaking from the traditional boxy sort of healthcare institutions. Was that a deliberate move to better interact with the outside environment? Exactly, because I feel like if you have the curved, like the, the outside walls are curved as well. And that lets the light spread in a different way than if they were straight. So they are able to spread, the light is able to spread more inside the space uh, through those curved walls. So you get like 
a different kind of angle, like almost a 360 view, like a 180 view maybe, of uh, the nature outside. So it gives you a different perspective. In terms of like our senses and the, and the role that they play in healing, you sort of touched on acoustics and that being important. You've also mentioned colour there as well and, and light as well and how we perceive that with our vision. How do these factor into healing? Can you tell me a little bit more about that and that sort yeah. of research in terms of the relationship between our senses and, and our health? Of course. So I feel like blue is like a calm colour, like, yeah, like a soothing effect maybe on you. Uh, so that's like if you go a little bit into colour theory. But then I also wanted to show respect for the space. I didn't want to like throw in a bunch of colour because it was supposed to be playful and fun and and happy but I wanted to be respectful so I have some muted colors as well and then like popping up here and there and actually the Bauch's felt floor divider that they have in coral was like my starting point when I started to develop the color scheme for this but I feel like color is also a big part of well-being I feel like a lot of people feel better in the, in a space that's not cold and sterile and white of course it's different between people but I feel like a lot of things that we build today are like steel, glass, wood. And we maybe forget a little bit about the softness. It's all quite hard materials. So a part of well-being to me, how I found in the research, is like the curvature, the flowy, the, the colors are all a part of, of well-being. And I went to Paimio Sanatorium that Alvaralto built in Finland, a tuberculosis hospital. That was actually an unbelievable experience because he used curves a lot also in his architecture and there was so much thought and research behind it. I had done my, my floor plan before I went there. I was like, yes, I did something right. I mean, this, of course, it's supposed to be like... And also just like from a hygienic standpoint that it's easier to clean around curved walls than it is around straight walls Nothing as well. stuck in the no, corner. No, exactly. I mean, are, are there any other like key lessons that you'd like to share with people from your research? You know, if somebody else is setting out on a design project around health and, and well-being, is there any things that you would perhaps use as your own starting point in future? Go to Paimio, first off. It's incredibly inspiring. And maybe just take a step back, like from how we built today and go a little bit back to how we did before. I understand that we need to be energy efficient and it's all about cost and it's cheaper to build like straight walls. But I feel like color can have such a, I feel like it's maybe more efficient in the long term to have spaces that are soft and warm and, and colorful. Maybe it's naive, I don't know, but I mean, we need to take a bit of the human touch again into architecture. The designer, Kristin Erlins Dottier. Now, I welcome Natalie Theodosi, Monocle's fashion editor, to the studio uh, for another one of our fashion uh, and design catch-ups. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs> We're going to go to one of your recent reporting trips. Where, where are you taking us on today's show? So last week I was in Copenhagen for the Seasonal Fashion Week and I know that's one of both of our favourite cities for both fashion and design. One of the most exciting shows that I attended was Ghani. Ghani is really the brand that put Copenhagen fashion on the international map and it's run by Dite and uh, Nikolai Revstrup who have, as a brand grew, really made an effort to involve other creatives and, and build a community. 
um, around Ghani that goes beyond their seasonal collections. And this season, they partnered with the Arkin Museum of Modern Art. Uh, there is a new director, Mari Nipper, that Dita found a lot of common ground with. And uh, the two uh, worked together um, to host the Ghani show at the Arkin Museum and to create um, the visuals and, and to draw inspiration for the collection from the museum's collection. Mari and Dite worked with um, another curator, Esben Vale Kyer. Esben has been working on sort of the rebranding of the Arkin Museum under Mari. He has recurated the museum's permanent collection and created new pieces of work to go uh, into that collection, including uh, this two-meter-tall bronze sculpture of a butterfly. Esben brought in some of this work into the Ghani collection, created this big digital animation of a um, cartoon butterfly that was the backdrop of the show. A lot of the butterflies went onto the collection as well. So it was just a light-hearted but really interesting uh, way to look at how everything from art to sculpture to fashion design and digital animation could all come together. And it was all brought together by the conversations and the exchanges of uh, Mari, Dite and Esben. So it was really wonderful to see them come together. And literally just an hour before the show, I, I sat down with, uh, with Dite and Mari to speak about uh, how they came together and their mutual appreciation. And it was, I think it was really nice to see how much they just liked each other and decided to work together. It was all very natural and Dita had a lot of interesting stories to say. She, uh, Arkin was the first museum she visited when she moved to Copenhagen but then never went back because she never really uh, felt as much connection to what they were doing and uh, now with uh, Mari Nieper as the creative director there she's more excited to see uh, where it's going and, and to see more contemporary artists involved uh, in the museum. Excellent. That that sounds amazing. So we'll, we'll hear from that conversation with the director of the ARC and Marie Nipa, and also Dite Refstro, uh, who's the creative director of Ghanian and Dite kicks it off. The story of Aachen is actually that it was built for the people that they wanted to open the art world up for. And I have a, the same approach to fashion, you know, when I have always felt a little bit like an outsider and fashion can also be a very closed world where you don't really feel invited if you don't look a certain way or wear a certain thing. So I really love that philosophy. It's a dream come true for me to be here today. Did it inspire your designs and the way that you approach this new collection, having Arken as uh, the backdrop and, uh, and the partner? The philosophy that Arken has, again, has, is, is very much uh, aligned. So that is like always an inspiration that everyone is welcome and uh, you approach fashion and art in a fun way, but still with respect for the industry that you're working with. I'd love to hear a little bit about the new chapter at Arkin and, and w what's going on. How are you evolving the, the work that uh, it has been doing for, for so long? I think this collaboration is also a good example of where we're trying to bring Arkin in the sense that we want to show all the dynamic, the innovation that comes within contemporary art. Arkin is a museum that focuses on art from the 1990s until today. 
So our main focus is contemporary art. And today we're dealing with artists who don't necessarily work within the same boundaries as previously, where fashion is a natural part of being in an artistic practice where you don't consider yourself a painter or a sculptor anymore, but you also a performance artist to work with sound. All of these new elements that are part of contemporary art is something that Arden would like to motivate and mediate the public within the coming years. And of course, also highlighting this unique museum close to Copenhagen, we're about 16 minutes away from the central station, and also highlighting this region, which is a bit different. It's another social economic demographic that we think is important to show that we have this wonderful diversity that is engaged with art as well. I mean, for years, there has been a lot of conversation about fashion and art and whether there should be a relationship or there shouldn't be. Some artists are open to it, some not. What has both your perspective been on the two worlds merging? I feel like being a modern human being, everything from food to art, music, fashion is very related. I mean, it's a part of uh, every day. The world today is all about bringing industries and people together instead of separating them. I mean, that is everything that's wrong with the world. The new generations don't have those same considerations as we used to in terms of separating these two worlds. I think for younger generations, they merge naturally, which is, of course, also a positive byproduct of the social media and the way we engage with visual culture today. And I think there's a lot of learnings between the two fields that are important. The partnerships and nudgings between the two fields of creativity. On the topic of sustainability, Ghani has been doing over the years a lot of work in terms of materials and the entire way the company operates to become more sustainable. What do you think actually the art world can learn from uh, a company like Ghani and everything that it has been doing in that field? Very inspirational because I think the art world is very engaged in those issues, but on a more symbolic plan. So the artists are so engaged in all of these questions and of art institutions are as well in terms of mediating those social issues. But when it comes to the production and all of these very material engagement with how do we do a sustainable production in art, I think we are still very hesitant or we don't know how to get a grip on that as institutions. So I think there's a lot of learning we can get from the fashion world in terms of working with the supply chains and seeing 360 degrees around our business. What should we be expecting from Arkin as well? You're rethinking the direction, a lot of interesting new projects. What would uh, visitors and potentially our listeners expect to see? A bigger focus on contemporary art, showing the diversity of our collection and restaging the collection, which is what Esteban Vallecaia is doing as well. And we are also shifting around our spaces. So we have these amazing big central space, which we'll use as a platform for artists to invite them and come do site-specific large-scale projects. So we hope to be an institution that when you come here, you see the best of contemporary art, but you also see a place and a museum that challenges artists to evolve their own practice and give space to try and experiment and new partnerships, sporting new partnerships. I think it's very important for us not to see ourselves as an island, but as a museum and institution that is connected to the world. 
That was Marie Nipper, and before that, DT Refstro. Uh, and that was also Natalie Theodosi, whose voice was being pumped into my earphones, and, but now I've, now I've got it in the room again. I mean, tell me a little bit about your, your initial reaction to that conversation that you had with them. I, mean, I know they talked about interdisciplinary collaborations there. Maybe I'm curious, and maybe this is the starting point for our chat, but how else can collaborations go further than just the setting in which they're taking place, you know, bringing together a, a fashion brand and, a, and an art gallery and, and perhaps feel more joined up? Up until now, collaborations were a lot more surface level, especially in the more historical institutions. If they were to collaborate with with a fashion brand, it would really just be about opening up a space and and that can there can be value in that you know the young younger designers need space and the visibility that some of these uh, institutions can provide and in any form of collaboration, there will be that transactional element. But it is really interesting to see how uh, brands like Ghani uh, with Arkin have been going a little bit further and involving the curator in the actual design of a collection, the backdrop of the show, and uh, the, the director of the museum speaking with Dite and, and finding common ground in the way that they approach artists, in the way that they're running their respective uh, projects. Uh, so I think there's a lot of value in, in having those uh, bigger conversations and also just going beyond the one-off collaboration and, and keeping the conversation going. I think Mary made that point in our chat that she wants to keep this kind of partnerships evolving over time rather than doing a one-off and then forgetting about it. The other thing that we, we spoke about a little bit off air with it, with our producer, May Lee, as well, was this partnership between Ghani and Arkin feels natural. It feels like something that has evolved organically. I'm curious on your perspective on whether, I guess, there's a danger of institutions using designers to appear cool or hip, and uh, when in reality uh, this sort of outlook, this sort of collaboration goes against their, their operations or, the, or their day-to-day practice. It can happen when you look at collaborations on the surface level. These more historic institutions do need the younger designers in order to stay relevant and be part of youth culture in a way. But opening up uh, your space and doing a single event, uh, I'm thinking of, of some museums that just host a fashion show, but when you look at who's curating the exhibitions, who is featured in those permanent exhibitions, the themes that they explore in seasonal exhibitions as well. Nothing has changed over the years. So that one single fashion show that you put on uh, twice a year will not make that much of a difference. It's a token effort. Pretty much, I, mean, I think so. How, how, do we, how do we break that? I mean, it's about, you know, maybe introducing a permanent space that is about emerging designers. You recorded this at Copenhagen uh, Fashion Week. I've recently been in Stockholm for, for furniture fairs and certainly the biggest draw, what people are most excited about are all the emerging designers. So maybe it's just trying to show these institutions, these businesses, that there is a case and there is a demand and there is an appetite for people to see emerging designers. Giving people permanent space and when thinking about permanent roles within these institutions, getting younger designers, younger curators in would create more meaningful collaborations. I guess I'm also curious for your take on whether, you know, it's easier for contemporary art museums like like the Arkin, to have these kinds of relationships with, you know, contemporary brands, current designers, then perhaps, I guess, old school institutions with lots of baggage that might be harder to to move away from the way that they've been practising for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
Definitely. I think a museum like Arkin has a smaller team. There's less processes and hierarchies to navigate through when working on a collaboration and trying to establish those connections. While older institutions, it's harder to break through, even though they do want to be associated with youth culture and to bring in those younger designers because there is the pressure for them to stay relevant these days. Collaborations aren't as uh, multi-layered or as meaningful sometimes. And I think I think that probably goes across the board if we're, we're going to move beyond, you know, fashion and design and, and art. If you're a startup, if you're younger, you're going to be much more nimble than you are if, if you're somebody or, or a company that's established. It's going to be much harder to, I guess, change your ways and bring in new ideas. So it would be nice to see you know, how these older institutions could perhaps reinvent themselves and, and look to broaden their scope and the work they're doing, both in terms of collaborations, but also what they're showing on a regular basis. Exactly. I think it is definitely more difficult to change teams and ways of thinking that have been there for years and years. But at the same time, the appetite is there, the demand is there from consumers and visitors and, and people who are engaging with, with this institution. So it would be great to see, like you said, them giving permanent space to these designers, working with them on, on long, longer term projects, or even bringing them in when it, when it comes to curating some of their exhibitions. 100%. I agree with you totally, Natalie Theodosi, Monocle's fashion editor. Uh, we'll be right back in just a moment. Party is a London-based architectural practice who have a history of working on hotels. Their newest venture, named Ark, looks to reimagine the English country house for the contemporary world. With two properties already complete in the UK and other unusual sites, including an old post office as well as a water tower currently under renovation, Ark is designed to offer an escape while also accommodating large groups. We visited the Ark Painswick to meet the architect Eleanor Hill and Tom Leahy, founder of Ark to find out a little more about their work. The idea of ARC is it's a reimagination of the English country house and how they're experienced. So it harks back to how they were originally built, which was where uh, people would invite numbers of guests and have a activity-filled weekend of conversation, of activity, of pursuits. It's a relatively new typology of travel, which we do know from chalets and on ski holidays or, or European villas in Italy or Spain. But in the UK, usually these large buildings had been turned in, into bed and breakfasts, and so you would travel individually to them. But the idea behind art was to return them to their original purpose, which was as large single houses. And so we put a lot of effort into understanding what works about that and what would be challenging. We're now in the dining room, big room with a lot of crumbly Cotswold stone and on one side huge windows right in the centre of the town. This room probably illustrates the approach to the whole house really. We've got these incredible existing bones of the building which is defined by its wonkiness, crumbly kind of raw material combination of stone and, and old oak. So really it's been to strip the building back to those building blocks, really celebrate them and contrast them with clean new white plasterboard that just allows the old stuff to really sing. We looked at 100 possible arc 
locations before we settled on the ones that we're working on. I think it's important that the DNA of the building is right. We like to have, as I said, 10 to 15 bedrooms um, and then a range of shared spaces that work well for the number of people. So the dining room has to be large enough for a six, seven metre table. The kitchen has to be social and able to have people in different parts of it doing different things. Um, And then we'd like to have a a range of lounges, again, that can seat a lot of people, but some that are more cosy, some that are more intimate, some that have views. The fabric of the building is, uh, is quite important. I also quite like to be near a train station so that people can arrive very simply and I like to be near a pub. I don't love the arcs to be in places that are at the end of a long driveway where people can't nip out and get a coffee or get a beer. All of the arcs currently are in listed buildings. We've got seven that we're in the collection and uh, and, it, and it just so happens that, that it's such a unique typology arc that it lends itself very well to unusual buildings. We're working on a number of arcs that are in progress at the moment. One of the things that's really extraordinary about going to an arc is that you are living for a moment in a building that is likely to be very different from what you're used to at home. So some of the ones that we're working on at the moment, one's an enormous water tower in Suffolk, the huge uh, metal shell all painted in yellow, which is over about seven floors, overlooks the the beach and the whole town. So that's quite extraordinary in, in terms of its character. It's really different from anything that you would ever normally live within. Another one is an old post office in the Peak District, which again started out as a factory back in the Victorian times. So it's quite industrial and regular rhythmically a crumbling farm in in the lake district a derelict mansion that was once built by an opera impresado in the victorian times and is complete with carved crocodiles wrapping around the window frames all sorts of eccentric quirks that we're just hoping to add to with the architecture it's a, a really fun collection of buildings that are quite extraordinary in themselves. Well, it's a double gable. So you see, if you can picture a kind of Toblerone going in one direction and then a Toblerone going in the other direction, that's the sort of space that you have. It's these sort of triangular forms that get booleaned together. And so, and then structurally, it, everything is in, this, in these massive oak beams. Um, and so it, just, it does create a kind of Quasimodo-like space, um, <laughs> which is quite amazing, about five metres tool. The thing that really works about the buildings we choose is they do play into that tradition of the English country house. All of these houses were built intentionally in nice places, often on train lines, um, that people from the city could invite their friends to, to have good weekends filled with activities and pursuits. So we're really just returning them back to what they always were intended to be. Um, And that's, I think, why they work so well once they've been turned into into an arc. We've now done two, and something that we're very keen on is learning about what works and what doesn't. We're only getting more ambitious and more thorough and spending more time on the next ones as we've started to grow this project. The atmospheres, aesthetics, character of the house is wildly different, and obviously that also affects the experience. And I think our architectural approach is also very different towards each house. We're enabling the facilities to be the same, 
but what we're doing within the houses are very different. I mean, this house is very stripped back and allows the existing character to to really speak. Whereas in Cornwall, we've applied quite a playful aesthetic and character. In the Lake District, it's all going to feel very earthy. And in Suffolk, it's going to be very colourful and graphic and poppy. We're having fun with creating an architectural language which very much stems from the place and the architecture and it is quite specific to each house. The drawing room in Europe was called the Salon often and it was a place for culture and it was really a place and a time period after dinner where you would go and there would be almost set topics of discussion or there would be a piece of culture, art or opera or, or music or reading. And we thought that was a really important part of the country house. It was the way in which, before the internet, culture was disseminated from the cities out into the regions. We set up a uh, initiative called the Art Salon, sort of like a dispersed art gallery. We have a curator, Anna Woodward, in London, who curates really cutting-edge artists, and their work goes on show within the arcs. Each arc has an exhibition that changes uh, twice a year. We're now here uh, with a new show on contemporary textiles because Painswick was originally a wool town, so it would have made all of its wealth, all of the impressive buildings from the 15th and 16th century was paid for by wool and by weaving. So we've got an amazing show now with contemporary interpretations of that. We've got an artist from Korea who who produces work that almost looks like a photograph, and um, we have an Australian artist where the textiles are stretched across canvases and torn. Going back to UK travel, people always go on international travel and come back with stories and things they've learned and interesting facts. And I think it's very important that we do the same with domestic travel and people learn things and they get exposed to new cultures and new things. And so that's the idea behind Arc Salon, is that every time you visit an arc, you know, it's likely to be a new exhibition. We would like to host operas or readings or little book festivals inside the buildings, use them as a cultural space. So we're quite fortunate today that we've, we've opened this exhibition up to the public and people are walking around with a glass of wine and, and, and we're able to share the culture with, with everyone in the town. My thanks to Tom Leahy and before that, Eleanor Hill. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced and edited by Maylee Evans. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 